0: Have you ever been so engrossed in an activity that you lose track of time completely? So maybe you're reading a book or working on a puzzle or a woodworking project, and you look up and somehow it has gotten dark outside. Or maybe you've been so consumed with what you were doing that you kind of forget where you are or that there are other people around. Something finally breaks your concentration and you look up... And you're startled to find yourself in the midst of a world you had kind of forgotten existed. Grief can be a lot like that. It can be so overwhelming that for a time it feels all-encompassing. Now, in a lot of ways, I think this is a natural coping mechanism for us because grief can take us beyond our capacities to deal. And so this kind of myopia that comes with grief basically limits what we are able to pay attention to, what we are forced to process when our circuits are already so overloaded. So for a person who is grieving, that can be a helpful phenomenon for a time. And it can be a difficult experience for those around them. And we've seen some of this overwhelming grief in Naomi as we have been journeying through the book of Ruth. She's distraught by the death of her husband and both her sons. And Naomi has cried out that the Lord has turned against her and that her life is bitter. And when Naomi and Ruth returned to Bethlehem, Naomi is not the one who is able to make any attempt to figure out how they will find food. Ruth is the one who comes up with the plan to glean and is the one who does the gleaning. And as we saw last week, Ruth ends up gleaning in Boaz's field. She finds favor with him. She returns from a single day of gleaning with this basically unimaginable amount of barley. And in that abundance... Naomi sees the first glimmers of hope, of the belief that things might not always be as they are now. And with those glimmers of hope, it's as if Naomi looks up and begins to be aware of the world around her again. When she'd first arrived back in Bethlehem, she hadn't even mentioned Ruth as she described her plight to her fellow townswomen. Ruth, a foreigner who had left everything behind and pledged herself to her dead husband's mother, and Naomi had all but forgotten that she existed. But now, hope has been kindled, and Naomi is able to begin to focus attention outside of herself. She looks around, and she sees Ruth's vulnerability. She sees her need and she decides to do something about it. So our passage today begins with Naomi saying to Ruth, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. The more literal translation would be, I need to seek some rest for you, which is the same thing that Naomi wanted for her daughters-in-law when she tried to send Ruth and Orpah back to Moab in chapter 1. Naomi wants Ruth to have rest, which means she wants her to have a husband, because in their society, a husband was the only one who could provide the security, the home, the rest that Ruth needed. And so Naomi devises a plan, a plan that rests on the fact that Boaz is a guardian redeemer or a kinsman redeemer to her family. Now, Israel had certain laws that were intended to ensure that the family or the community would help to care for and protect individuals who couldn't protect themselves. And one of those laws created the role of the goal, the kinsman redeemer. So if an Israelite fell into poverty or debt and was forced to sell their ancestral land, the goal, the kinsman redeemer, a close family member, was responsible for buying that land back to ensure that it stayed in the family. Or if the debt was so bad that the individual was forced to sell not only their land, but to sell themselves into slavery, the goal was to buy back both the land and their family members' freedom. And this helped protect and provide for the individual who found themselves in debt, but it also ensured that the land would be available for future generations of the family, thereby preventing generational poverty. So Naomi's plan is to get Boaz to act as a goal, a kinsman redeemer for Ruth. So she tells Ruth to wash, to put on perfume, and to put on her best clothes. Ruth would have been wearing a particular garment that had marked her as a widow, but now what Naomi is telling her to do is to take off that garment, symbolizing the end of her public mourning period, and that she is eligible for marriage. And then Ruth is to sneak down to the threshing floor in the night and to find Boaz, this kinsman in whose field she'd been gleaning. And once everyone is asleep, she is to uncover his feet, lay down, and wait for Boaz to tell her what to do. Now it is worth mentioning that this passage is filled with ambiguity and innuendo. Many of the words that are used have multiple connotations. So just like in modern English, sleeping with someone can mean that you are physically sleeping in proximity to them, or it can mean something much more intimate. In the Bible, lying with someone is the same thing. It has multiple possible meanings, and it's up to us as readers to figure out what's meant by the context. And sometimes in the Bible, the term feet is used really to mean feet, and sometimes it's used as a euphemism for genitalia. All of that is to say that what Naomi tells Ruth to do is scandalous and it is risky. But Ruth follows all of Naomi's instructions. And when Boaz wakes up in the middle of the night, he is understandably startled to find someone lying at his feet. And he asks, who are you? And Ruth replies, I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Now, spreading your cloak over someone was an image or a metaphor that's used elsewhere in scripture to describe marriage. So essentially, Ruth has just proposed to Boaz, which means that Ruth actually takes a step beyond Naomi's instructions. Naomi had told Ruth just to lie down at Boaz's feet and wait for him to tell her what to do. But Ruth doesn't wait she asks Boaz to marry her. And with this whole plan, both Naomi and Ruth have done something remarkable. They have combined the role of the goal, the kinsman redeemer, with the role of the levier. In Israelite law, when a man died without any male heirs, his brother, the levir was supposed to marry the widow to provide sons who would carry on the family name and line. Now, Boaz was not a brother of Elimelech, Naomi's late husband, so he doesn't actually have any legal responsibility to Naomi or to Ruth. And as we'll find out later, Boaz isn't actually even the closest male relative to the family. But Ruth asks Boaz to see beyond all of those technicalities, to see the spirit of the law. She asks him to redeem both Elimelech's land and his family line. She asks him to provide safety and rest for her and for Naomi by marrying her. Now this is a big risk for Ruth to ask Boaz to take because Ruth has pretty much nothing to offer. She's poor, she's a foreigner, and she's childless after 10 years of marriage to her first husband, which means that more likely than not, she is infertile. And in a society where marriage was primarily about securing or increasing your standing in the community, Ruth was the last person you would want to marry but that's what Ruth asks Boaz to do. And she does it because Naomi had told her to. Naomi had looked around, seen the vulnerable position that Ruth was in without a husband, and moved by her love for her daughter-in-law, proposed this fairly radical, even scandalous scheme. In other words, Naomi has taken incredible initiative in addressing Ruth's situation. Now it's not the first time we've seen Naomi take initiative in the story. She did it when she decided to return from Moab to Bethlehem. She did it when she encouraged Ruth and Orpah to return home to Moab. And in none of these instances, does the scripture tell us that God told Naomi to do these things. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that God didn't speak to Naomi about what to do in these situations. He very well may have. But it seems at least equally likely that Naomi didn't hear directly from God about what course of action she was to take. Yet, as the story will go on to show, the instructions that Naomi gives to Ruth turn out to be really good ones. And the actions that Ruth takes ultimately end up creating an outcome that's positive, not just for Ruth, but that has implications for Israel and for even all of humanity. In other words, Naomi appears to be acting faithfully, and God appears to be acting through her, even if she is acting on her own initiative, rather than on specific leading from God. And I think all of that is good news. Because the truth is that a lot of the time, we don't receive direct and specific guidance from God either. Now that certainly doesn't mean that we shouldn't seek God and seek God's will in prayer and in scripture. And it doesn't mean that God may not sometimes or even often give us specific directions. But what Naomi's story shows us is that those aren't the only ways that God guides us. They are not the only ways that we can discern God's will for our situations. What Naomi's story shows us is that God is constantly shaping us and forming us to be people who see what God sees and desire what God desires. And so in all of those times when God seems to be silent, when our prayer and our study of scripture don't provide a clear path ahead, we can still walk forward with humble confidence. Because we can trust the Holy Spirit's presence in us and the way that that presence has formed us to pursue the things that God would have us pursue. So Naomi knew the laws about goals and leviers, but she knew them not just as laws that God wanted his people to follow. She knew them as laws that reflected God's own heart, a heart that cares about the poor and vulnerable, a heart that rejects exploitation in all of its forms, a heart that believes that everyone has worth and dignity and no one is beyond redemption. From the laws of God, Naomi had learned the character of God. And so when she looked at her beloved daughter-in-law and saw someone who was poor and vulnerable and susceptible to exploitation, she also saw someone of worth and dignity who deserved redemption. And so she did what she could to accomplish for Ruth the ends that the laws were meant to achieve to begin with. Now, did it require unusual and daring, potentially even scandalous action on Ruth's part? Yes. Did it depend on a creative interpretation of God's laws? Yes. Did it reflect the heart of God for all of God's children? Absolutely. Naomi's heart had been shaped by God's heart. So in the moment of decision, and at least potentially absent specific direction from God, Naomi acted with creativity and courage, and her actions were faithful and fruitful. And the good news for us in this story is that God does shape our hearts every bit as much as He shaped Naomi's heart. God wants for us to be people who love what God loves, who seek what God seeks, who work for what God works for. And so God forms us through the scriptures, through worship, through prayer and community. And above all, by the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, God forms us into people who desire to pursue God's will for ourselves, for others, and for the world. Sometimes God gives us clear and specific directions, but sometimes, maybe even often, God offers us freedom in discerning how to pursue that will. God shapes us, forms us, and guides us, while also inviting us to be people who can act with creativity and courage as we pursue God's heart for the world. In her book, The Preaching Life, Episcopal priest Barbara Brown Taylor tells a story that illustrates this kind of freedom so well. For years, Brown Taylor wrestled with whether God was calling her to ordained ministry. And she had done everything she knew how to do. She'd prayed all the prayers, she'd read all the scriptures, she'd had all the conversations, trying to reach an answer to that question. But still, she was stuck. So, she writes... One midnight, I asked God to tell me as plainly as possible what I was supposed to do. Anything that pleases you. That is the answer that came into my sleepy head. What, I said waking up, what kind of an answer is that? Do anything that pleases you, the voice in my head said again, and belong to me. That simplified things considerably. I could pump gas in Idaho or dig latrines in Pongo Pongo as far as God was concerned, as long as I remembered whose I was. With no further distress, I decided it would please me to become a priest and to spend the rest of my life with a community willing to help me figure out what that meant. What I love about this story is that it captures both the freedom that God invites us to, anything that pleases you, and the fundamental and immovable importance of submitting ourselves to God's formation of us and belong to me. As we continually orient ourselves to God, or rather let God orient us to himself, we grow in our knowledge of God and in our understanding of ourselves as God's beloved children. And as we grow in this knowledge, we learn to trust God's presence and work in us and the way God brings our spirit into alignment with the Holy Spirit. And the freedom that this brings is incredible. No longer is life with God a matter of towing the line, of seeking to obey every jot and tittle of the law out of fear of displeasing or disappointing God if we don't. Instead, we can trust the work that God has done in us and will continue to do in us, transforming us, conforming us more and more into the image of Christ. And so we can live and act with courage and creativity, trusting in God's unfailing love, presence, and faithfulness, even when we do not hear specific direction from God. And the beautiful thing about this, about this way of living in the freedom of trusting God's formative and transformative presence in us, The beautiful thing about it is that it spreads. The courage and creativity that Naomi showed in the instructions that she gave to Ruth spread to Ruth herself. So that when Ruth laid down at Boaz's feet, she didn't simply wait for Boaz to tell her what to do, as Naomi had said, but spoke to him herself, asking him to marry her. So Ruth exhibited her own courage and creativity. And as we will see in the weeks to come, that courage and creativity would yield great fruit. As we trust and lean into God's formational work in us, we become, by God's grace, agents of God's formational work in others. Naomi has allowed God's laws to form her. So that she loves what God loves and seeks what God seeks. And trusting in that formation allows her to act with creativity, courage, and freedom as she seeks Ruth's good. And through that trust, God grows Ruth in her own creativity, courage, and freedom. So may God give us the grace to trust that he does the same in us. Amen.